We're going to do a quick study. I don't know how quick it's going to be. Three weeks on anxiety. This world is full of anxiety. Uh, anxiety can be tricky. I know people, close friends. I, I, I listened to them as I prepared this lesson about anxiety, and, they, and it's, it's a menace if we don't corral it, if we don't take it to the one who can handle those things. And I'm not going to give you a medical report that's, that's past my pay grade, but I'm going to give you something better, and that's the Word of God, and that's not past my pay grade. And uh, if we do as the Lord tells us, and it, it's little by little. We just never do everything right, but we are growing into the image of Christ. And if we start putting these principles together, I think God, I know God, will, will deliver us from anxiety and those types of fears. We'll be in Matthew 6. We're going to try to go to 1934. I've been in a therapy class for three hours, so surely I can stand up here for 45 minutes. But if I can't, I'll, I'll just stop. But Scripture tells us, you guys, and this is what baffles me. In Christ, we have everything for life and godliness. And so my question to Jesus is, why do so many believers struggle with anxiety? And I will not, because it does not belong to God, so I will not cast any shade on him because he's perfect. He made everything perfectly. But it's because of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, when they blew it. And all of these maladies came upon us that we have to deal with during life. I'll show you real quick. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God wasn't then, and he's still not concerned with global warming. God, we should take care of our planet, do the best we can, but we should never put the planet in front of a human being. That's just a side note. I'll continue. So God created man in his own image. There it is. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. The God who created man, male and female, that was enough. That's all. That's, that's the ball game. That's all we needed. I'll just let it stay there. And we know that Satan came and he tempted Eve. We also know, and I, 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 I always say this, I can't wait to ask Adam, why did you just willfully do it? But he, Adam just willfully ate it. And what he did, he changed the family genealogy from here on out. It tells us in Genesis 5, 3, 
Here it is. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own image. There's the downfall. In his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. And there becomes the slow dirge of death, 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 and it has not stopped, and it will not stop until Jesus Christ comes. It only stops one time, and that was when Enoch, he took him, but we've been playing that song ever since, death song. We've been having all these maladies ever since and all these sin problems ever since. But then you read 2 Peter 1.3, and he's speaking of the regenerate man. He says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So knowing that it's not God's will that we should let anxiety dominate us, and it's not his will for us to be defeated by anxiety, Many Christians do. Many Christians do. So we're going to look at what Scripture says. I told you Matthew 6, 1 through 18. I'll just explain that. We'll do 19 and the rest of it on down. But Jesus, what he's talking about in those uh, verses is hypocrisy in religious practices. In the sermon, he's on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying that we enter the kingdom through brokenness, through spiritual poverty, through mourning, and through hungering and thirsting for righteousness and so forth. And we need to understand, he's telling us, that the law is something that is not just outward, but there are hearts issues that are involved. Unless we think that everything is just heart, God says no. Conviction and worship have very practical manifestations attached to them. He talks about in giving, in praying, and in fasting. He'll say that. He said, the problem with nature, and John chapter 2 tells us he didn't trust himself. Speaking of Jesus, he didn't trust himself to any man because he knew what was in man. He says, people so often will do spiritual things to be seen of men, and that's not good. And that's what Jesus condemns, not doing things in front of man, but doing things to be seen of them. In verse 19, he changes from hypocrisy, we might get back to that one of these days, to anxiety. As we come to this, they're related in some ways. The hypocrite is driven by the opinion of man because hypocrites will act one way in front of people and another way, when no one is watching. So he's driven by what people think, and he's not so driven by what God thinks, or he would do things with that motive. The person who, feels, who is filled with anxiety is a person who still doesn't understand, listen to this, God's grace, and still isn't trusting his well-being to God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 tells us quickly here, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, Victor, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. So there's not, they're not the same. 
hypocrisy. And what he's talking about, uh, what's the word? And trusting in God is not the same, but they're related. Their apprehension and their perception of God in his tenderness, his fatherhood in our lives, because we're going to speak of God being who he is to believers, our father. Now, no doubt about it, we live in an anxiety-ridden world. We're filled with stress, anxiety, worry, fear, fretting. If you know someone who frets all the time, that old English word, it means to eat up, to be eaten up of something. And that's what anxiety, worry, fear does in our lives. They eat up our joy, eats up our peace, eats up our resolve to live before the Lord the right way. They eat away all those things, and there's never been a generation that has been more exposed to information than this generation. I mean, they are exposed to so much. If you turn on the news, you have China and Russia all the time, South American countries, all those things. And always it's the Middle, Middle East. We're exposed to all of those things. We're worried about the new strand of COVID before it gets here. We have so much information. And don't let me get started with balloons. I was riding by a flower store because it was my anniversary, and I saw balloons, and I almost called Fox News, but this guy just had a big balloon, so that was all that was. So Jesus, what he's going to do, he's going to step in and talk to us about anxiety. And it's important the context that he brings it to us in. That's very important. There's never been a generation probably more damaged by the delinquency of fathers. I think that's why God knew, well, I knew God knew it was going to happen, but I think that's why he says, I'm your father, and we have a father. If you are a believer, you have a father. We live in a culture where so many fathers have walked out of their families. So many fathers are not there for one reason or the other, and there's too many people who sit in church today. They've been abused. They've come through difficult circumstances. And when they hear the word father, that's how they think. But what is attached to that in their own mind or their own thinking is not a pleasant idea. But Jesus, what he's about to do, he's going to point us to the father. He could have used many illustrations. But no, he says, you've got anxiety? I'm going to point you to the one who can take those things away. Jesus knows our brokenness. He knows what's in man. There's no one in this room who has an excuse. We have, through his spirit, the capacity to reach out to our heavenly father. But matter of fact, Paul says this, that the very spirit of Christ who indwells us cries, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what 
our, the new regenerate man, that's what he calls out. We have a father. That there is something in us that is very much drawn to our father in heaven. And we need to call on him and look to him. Now, he's going to tell us that worry is the enemy and the fruit of not trusting our father. Did you catch that? If we're worrying too much, if we have anxiety too much, it, 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 it comes from not trusting our Father, not having faith. And you know some people, have you ever been around people, and, and if you see them coming, you want to go the other way because, man, they've, they've got problems, and they worry, and they worry, and they worry. And you have to constantly drink your Maalocs when they come around. I know it's some people like that. That's all they think about. They, they don't like to worry. They worry so much, they come to you and they tell you your problems. Then you can worry for them. They want to take your peace. They want you to worry with them. So he runs this, this, this man. I know you know people like this. This man, he runs into an old friend. And, his, and the guy looks so calm. And the guy who just ran into him says, what? You, you don't look the same anymore. You look so calm. You look so peaceful. He says, I hired somebody to worry for me. <laughs> and he said, tell me about it. He said, yeah, I hired somebody to worry for me. I pay him, and all he do, I don't have to worry anymore. He just worries for me. And the guy asked him, he said, how much did you pay him? He said, $100,000? He said, you don't make that kind of money. The other guy said, hey, that's no problem. That's his problem. <laughs> I don't have to worry. <laughs> don't you wish it was that easy to just pay somebody to worry for you? I know my mom does, but God has something better. God has, he's going to talk to us about anxiety and it's three aspects I want you to get. Then he's going to make a prescription in regards to his cure. It, it, it does no good to have a diagnosis if you don't have a prescription for it. As we go through this, I, don't, I want you to understand that I don't, I, I, I'm not being cavalier. I'm not being trite because anxiety is a problem for a lot of people. But these are the words of Jesus Christ. I didn't write this. This is something that the Lord takes his time knowing we would be right here today many years ago and says, hey, if, you have, are you, if you're anxious, this is what you should do. His concern is because three times he says, when you give alms. Now, if you go back up, He's going to talk about alms. He's going to talk about fasting. He's going to talk about praying. And he says, do this. Do it this way when you give alms. When you pray, do it this way. When you fast, do it this way. And your father who sees in secret, he's going to reward you openly. Seven times we will hear about rewards in this chapter. And he's worried, Jesus is worried that you're going to lose your reward. That anxiousness is going to take those rewards away from you. You'll forfeit your rewards that they would have by trusting. 
if we just trust him in Jesus, your father in heaven. Because they've been driven by the wrong things. And anxiety can rob those things from us. Let's look at verse 19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first thing he says relative to anxiety is, where's your treasure? That's what he wants to know first of all. What's the thing you treasure the most, you value the most? And he talks to us as though we're already anxious. Because verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And what it really means, stop laying up for yourselves. In fact, it says, stop treasuring treasure for yourself on earth. And the assumption is that we're already doing it. God knew we were going to do it. And what he says is, it's going to be a natural inclination for us to do it. I mean, we have to, we have to understand, we're supposed to be what? Foreigners and aliens in this world. That would be like me going over to Brian Bowman's house, taking an armful of clothes and putting them in one of his chest of drawers. I don't live there. I don't store up things there. That's what Jesus is saying. This is not our home. Don't store up things down here. We're only living here for a minute. Store up things in heaven. Remember that they are of the nature anyway, that they can catch on fire, what you store up down here. The circumstances of life can remove them. They can rust. They can fall apart. Thieves can break in and steal. But then Jesus says, rather, continually lay up for yourselves treasure, verse 20, in heaven, where neither moth and rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Reason why you do that. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. So the first reason for anxiety, this is what the Bible says, the wrong treasure in the wrong place. What are the things you value most in life? When somebody else touches those things, are you angry? When somebody takes something from you, that you think is rightfully yours? Are you stressed out? When somebody else messes with something that belongs to you. Now, I look at Lydia at that because I tell her, don't mess with my stuff at home, and she moves it somewhere else. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that you treasure, that you value, and somebody gets it and moves it, takes it from you. Are you like a pressure cooker, steaming, the first thing he says, Jesus says, if you're laying up treasure in heaven, if you're doing your banking there, if you're making your deposits there, hey, you can't take it with you. If you but you can send it ahead. 
And if you're laying up treasures in heaven, you have something that is secure. It's secure there, and your heart's going to be attached to that. But if you're laying up treasure here, you have the wrong God. That's why you're anxious. If your God can, can rust, matter of fact, you have the wrong God. If somebody can steal your God, you have the wrong God. If a moth can eat your God, you have the wrong God. So the first challenge is where's your treasure? What is the most treasured thing in your life? What drives you? What do you worship? What do you bow before? Because what you bow before and give the most of your time and thought to, that's your God. I'm just being real. It's consuming your heart. That's why he says where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. As I was thinking about this, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure he wrote the book, uh, The Great Divorce. I never, I read some of the book. I went to the play and got it. I liked it much better. But as I was getting this together, I thought about the woman who had lost her son. And all the woman could think of, I, I just want to be where my son is. I just want to be where my son is. And the angel came and said, well, he's in heaven. I just, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But then he said, you won't get there by just loving your son and wanting to be with your son. You need to know Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We let all these treasures come upon us, and they begin to fill our hearts, and we don't have room enough for him. And we have anxiety. We get anxiety because people are snatching and trying to grab things, or you're, you're worried somebody's going to get it, or the stock market's going to go the wrong way, whatever it is. And that's all you think about. That's all you think about. And it brings anxiety. And God doesn't want you to live that way. First thing he says to us, lay up treasure in heaven. The first question he asks, making the diagnosis, where's your treasure? What are the things you treasure the most if you have an anxiety problem? Secondly, he says, are you thinking properly about these things? Verse 22, he says, the light of the body, or you could say the lamp of the body, is the eye. If therefore your eye is good or single, you may be married, but your eye needs to be single. The idea he's speaking of is a healthy eye. You're not seeing double. You don't have stigmatism. He says your whole body will be full of light. And what he means by that, you have the right, you will have the right perspective Verse 23 tells us, if your eye is bad, that word is evil, porneos. The evil about it is it contrasts against the good, so good and bad. He says, but if your eye is bad, 
your whole body will be full of darkness. And what he means by that, your vision is skewed. It contaminates every part of your life. And that's what he's saying about anxiety. Anxiety will make you see the Lord as not trustworthy. How can you serve a God who's not trustworthy? You cannot serve him well, but that's what anxiety will do because if your treasure is in the right place, then you can be about his business. That's why he says, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what he means by that is what is your perspective? Is your perspective relative to eternity? Because that's all it is. If, if you, I don't care if you was a, the richest man around and your thoughts were all eternal things. That's what uh, it tells us in Corinthians to do anyway, maybe Colossians. Mm. I say this scripture all the time. I can't even think of it. Think on things that are above where Christ Jesus is seated at your right hand. If we're thinking like that, we won't be anxious because we're thinking of eternal things. So laying up treasure in heaven, understanding how to walk before the Father, realizing that he takes notice of your life. He takes notice of your life. There's something healthy about that. It's like in the physical and you have a healthy eye, it fills your whole, the whole room. You have, a, you have a perspective. You have a right perspective. You see what's going on in the physical. If you have a diseased eye, you can't see. You're filled with darkness. That's what he's saying. He's saying here that anxiety is a dark influence in our spiritual lives. Anxiety robs us from the proper perspective of God's care. There it is. And God's grace. Anxiety can be very consuming. And you can't see what's going on. The physical, if you have a diseased eye and you can't see when, you, when, you're, when you're filled with darkness, he's saying here anxiety is a dark influence in our spiritual lives. Anxiety robs us from the proper perspective of your father. He's not good. He's not going to take care of me. And then you start to talk about his character. We, we've talked about the preacher who was up here last week, Jeff, yeah. He talked about God and what he said about himself when he put Moses in the cleft of the rock. And remember, he, he, you should remember, he made us say it four or five times. Exodus 34, 6, he said, Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. God is good. Do you believe that? God is good. God is for you. He's not against you. So the things you have down here, we shouldn't even be that much concerned with them. Romans 5, 6 through 10 tells us this. When we were still without strength, if you want to know how good he is, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's his goodness. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Why are we anxious? God is good. Anxiety can be very consuming, though. So the first question is, where is your treasure? Because you've got to answer that one before you go anywhere else. Second question is, what's your perspective? How do you look at life? Are you just passing through? That's what the believer should be doing, just passing through? Or are you plagued with anxiety? How are you looking at life? How are you looking at eternity? How are you looking at where you should lay up treasure? Because he's going to say the third question, and it's a telling one, what master do you serve? Verse 24 tells us, no one can serve, and that's doulos. So that's a little bit more than serve. It's no one can slave two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He says you cannot serve God in the material things down here and, and, and money and, and let that be your God. You can serve two things, but you won't be good at either one. Neither one will be your master. You can only really be mastered by one thing. I used to tell God when I first got saved, I said, Lord, I'm praying to you, but you've got so many people praying to you. Why? And you're not answering my prayer. Is that the reason you're not answering my prayer? You've got too many people praying for you? But God is not like us. You see, our heart can only hold so much. We have a finite heart. God is infinite, so he can take all of your prayers and all of the believers in the world prayers, and it could be one-on-one to him. That's amazing. But we're not like that. That's why we get consumed. That's why we start pulling this way and that way, and we're worried about this and we're worried about that, when we should take it to the Lord. We were meant to be mastered because we were meant to be worshipers. When God created man and put him in the garden, he created him with a distinct capacity to worship and to know his master. And I want you young folks to listen to this. Wake up. If if you've been asleep, wake up. This is for you. We can spend our lives going from one wrong master to the next wrong master, never getting any hope. Money, a great servant, but a bad master. Drugs, pornography, cruel master. Gambling, alcohol, cruel master. Jesus Christ, God the Father, altogether lovely. That's the master that Adam and Eve had from the beginning. 
That was their treasure. And the question it comes back to you, where is your treasure? What is your perception? What masters you? That's the question. Because whatever it is, you're a slave. And you can't slave for God and the material world. You can't do it. It's destructive. You will fail and you will be filled with anxiety, running after things that's going to get burned up, saving up things that's going to get burned up, saving up things that you might not even. I took my computer. <laughs> I got to tell it. I took my computer to the computer shop, Lucent Computer Shop. I have all my sermons from day one when I was in middle, teaching in middle school. I have them all on that computer. Never had a hard drive backup. And I went to get on, it's a desktop, so I don't get on it much, but I, w- I went to pull up something. And it's, the screen is just black, just bl- nothing. So I took it up to the Lucent guy. I said, can you fix, please, can you fix this? I, I, I've got all my teachings on it. Please, can you fix it? He hasn't got back with me yet. So I don't know if he wants to tell me the bad news or he's charging me a lot of money, which is bad news. Either way, it ain't good. But be praying that I do get my sermons back. But once again, whatever masters you puts you as the slave. And you can't slave for God and the master. It's destructive, and it will fill you with anxiety. That's where it comes from. We're not trusting in our Father. That's the thing. And now he begins to give us a prescription, verse 25. Therefore, because you can't be divided like that, I say to you, don't think, I'll say it this way. I want you to understand that there's nowhere in this that God is condemning having things. Abraham was rich. Lydia was rich. A lot more was rich in the Bible who walked with the Lord. So he's not not condoning having things, but what he's condoning is letting them have you. So he says, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Some people will laugh and say, I'm just not committed to anything. But it's not a lack of commitment they're really after. It's, it's a, they're, they're, they're how, how should I put it? They can't separate the two. Therefore, they're full-blown with idolatry. They have an affection of full-blown idolatry. It is something more important in their life than the Lord. And he's not going to stand for that. So Jesus gives the, the, the remedy here. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
So he's going to give you, he says, I'm going to give you sustenance to feed life. So he's going to give you clothes for your body. He's going to do that. Those are basic essential things. You'll be okay with that. That's what he's saying here. He tells us in verse 25, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You're, are you not of more value than they? So he feeds the, the ravens, he feeds the birds. How much more value are we? Some of you will say, this is too simplistic. I go to my psychiatrist who's got three letters behind his name, and he tells me to do this and do that and do this. Well, God, he made the world. He made man. He knows how he ticks. And he's saying behind all your anxious desires is do you really care? Do you really trust your father? And are we putting too much stock down here than where we will be? That's what he's saying in a nutshell. I could have said three words and sat down because that's what he's saying here. PV, this is too simple. And I do want to state this because I've been reading books after books after books, bipolar and all those other maladies. If you have to take a prescription, that's okay. We just want you to be able to focus on the Lord. But I'm telling you, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. He made the body. That's why I started off with that. He knows how we tick. And our biggest problem and the best solution is we get too concerned about things down here as if we're going to stay here forever. And we're not. We're not. And God is saying, seek. He's not even saying, you, I don't want you to have things. He's just saying, seek first. He will save the kingdom of God and all those other things that be added unto you. Put me in the rightful place I should be. I will feed you. I will clothe you. I will take care of you. Do we trust him to do that? That's the question. Do we trust God to do that? He says this in Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The Bible tells us the creation says something to us about his eternal power and his eternal Godhead. That, that if we settle ourselves down and not let the world push us, but if we sit down and look and see, we will begin to understand that he feeds the sparrow. I'm tickled to death when I see a little fat worm fighting another, uh, a, a bird fighting another bird over a little worm. I'm saying, gosh, don't they know you could get another one? But 
That's what God wants us to understand. He created you. He made you. Do you think he's not, he's not going to provide for you? That's all he's saying. He will. And we have to trust him on that. And when we do that, we become less anxious. My son, Anthony, 30, 32 years of age, I was praying for him when he was born. I was praying for him when he was doing wrong at 15 and 16 and 17, and I kept praying. And now he's walking with the Lord. Do I think God cares more about him than I do? That's what we have to put. Do I think God cares more about fat girl than I do? When I go and she, her, her legs are broken and she can't move around like she used to and, she's, and, and the, the, the medicine she's taking is just ruining her body, but she still gets up and reads her Bible and enjoys life. Good gracious. What makes her feel that way? Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, knowing that one day she's going to get that resurrected body. She's got her mind on the right place. She's had her mind on the right place since all this stuff happened. And that's what we have to do. That's what uh, Jesus is telling us. Don't get focused on this world. I'm gonna, I guarantee you I'm going to feed you. Paul said it. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to give you somewhere to stay. You just focus on me. And then all the anxiety will go. You don't have to even worry about your children. Just keep praying. And watch God. Watch God work in your life. He's, he's not going to be a debtor to no man. You just keep praying. And you don't have to have the gray hair and you don't have to look, have the weary look. You just keep, well, I'm praying. I'm praying. God's going to show himself strong. He tells us in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And he's not saying you're going to get any taller there. What he's saying is if just by worrying, you're not going to add a step to your life. Matter of fact, you might lose a step or two to your life worrying too much. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his statue? Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Now, he's on me now. I'll just tell on myself. Why do you worry about clothing? But then he says something very important. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Verse 29, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Notice it's tied right there with anxiety. Faith and anxiety is tied together because that's the remedy. We need to trust God. He loves us. Solomon, and I'll go to my seat, the richest man that ever lived, the wisest man that ever lived, rabbinic 
writing says when he used to ride his chariot, he would have 18 men on each side. And they, they had to have the, the requirements. You had to be over six foot tall, six foot or taller. And you had to have black raven hair. Because Solomon, every morning, would grind gold and place it in their hair. So when they rode in his chariot, it would be just glowing, just glittering. He didn't care about money. You might say he had money, but he didn't care about it. Now, verse 31, now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he calls them, oh, you of little faith, because that's the problem. That's the problem, the faith problem. Oh, you of little faith, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, the unbeliever, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these. Notice he says he knows that you need them. But seek first. Worship team can come up. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. We know that. I know all of you know that. You know the order. But do we live it out? Do we live it out? It does no good to know the order. We must live it out. That's why it's in the two other gospels, this verse right here. We must live it out. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You will have enough trouble for tomorrow. Handle today. You guys, God loves us. God is your father. You might wasn't raised with a good father. But that doesn't matter. Now you're born again, and your father is God, and he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the earth. How much more will he not care for you guys? He loves you. Let's pray. Father, oh, it's good to call you that. You are a good God. You proved it over and over and over again. You proved it to me for 30 years, and I wasn't even walking with you, and you spared my life, and you sent your Holy Spirit to convict me of my sin. And, Lord, I pray for anybody who's just full of anxiety, Lord, that they would surrender to you, that they would understand that Everything is under your control, and you're a good God. You're a good God. You're, you're no tyrant that today might feel like this and do this, and tomorrow might feel another way and do something else. No, you're constant, so you're constantly good, and you're constantly seeking our best entrance. We don't need to worry. We just trust in you. Lord, May you speak this to every person who has a hard time with anxiety. Speak that to their hearts, Father. And Lord, may we learn to just wait on you. It's your timing.
We love you so much. We ask you to show yourself strong here at Calvary Restore. Once again, thank you for the pastors. Thank you for the elders. Thank you for the people here, Father. May we continue to teach your word. May we continue to when everybody else is turning away from the scriptures, we're going to share your word, Father, because we know it is your word and the power of the Holy Spirit that change comes to a life. So we ask you to have your way, Father. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.